Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Yancey, one of the other pastors here, and uh, we want to return to looking at God's word uh, from Matthew, focusing on themes that come out of the Apostles' Creed. And as you know, the creed itself points to God's word. It's something that believers has been, have been using throughout um, history since the, about around the fourth century to use to profess what they believe, to give allegiance to God the Father Son, and Holy Spirit. But before we continue on, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for being in our lives. We thank you for turning our eyes upon you. We call you Father because that's who you are. And so we ask, will you come now and deliver us unto you in ways that we need to be delivered? Lord, you know our hearts at times they are closed off to you, but now Open them wide that we may know the freedom of your fatherly love through this portion of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, once I was um, being interviewed for a position at a church, not this church, uh, but I, I recognized that they asked a lot of questions. And one of the questions pertained to me sharing my story about how I came to know the Lord. But there are some other more specific questions about what I believe. And all of a sudden, I was like, how do I answer this? But having been involved in a church where we profess our faith using the Apostles' Creed, it just bubbled up. And I put that down in terms of what I believe in. But you know, the thing that I noted the most is that this idea of God the Father, God the Father, I don't know about you, but it's been a long journey for me because I was someone who didn't grow up with a father in the home. And so when God saved me, I had my eyes like I should have, right, focused on Jesus, but I didn't give much thought to this, this idea of God as my father. 
And, you know, it was strange to me one day as well. I was at a banquet some years ago, and the speaker, instead of speaking about God and Jesus, using those names and the Holy Spirit, she made it all speaking about the Father. The Father this, the Father that, the Father has done this. And I found within myself thinking, like, why is she using that? I became a bit uncomfortable with that kind of language. But I recognized that there was work that needed to be done in my heart. I needed to be convinced even further that God is my Father and that God has always been there for me as Father. But one thing that I know in my life, you may notice this as well. Jesus talks about it. There are things that distract us from even coming to our father for help. We become anxious about our lives, anxious about where we will go, anxious about what we will be, do and career, anxious about so many things. And these things can distract us from the fact that we have a father who longs to meet our needs. And that's where we come today in this portion of God's word, recognizing that since God, the Father Almighty, is our daddy, we must trust him. God's fatherly care is overall and most particularly towards his children. Therefore, would we not worry about our basic needs of life in a broken world? So here is Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, he goes up on the mount and he sits down to teach his disciples the heart of the Father for their lives. God knows the way of his children and his eye is on them. Whenever we get tripped up, God sees it and he is there. Whenever anxiety may grip us, God knows it and he is there. He knows the basic necessities of our lives and what we will need. And so he is there. And so in this passage here, Jesus is reflecting even on a, a greater passage, the outline and context of this. He began to teach his disciples about serving God versus serving their possessions, treasuring up things on earth versus treasuring up true treasures in heaven, having a life that is signified by the light instead of the darkness. So he is making a point here that you cannot serve both God and money or God and possessions. Money is a context where they're the possessions of life. So he is drawing his attention to his disciples who believe in Jesus, who are growing in, in believing that God is their father, because this is who Jesus introduces to us in Scripture. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we know God you, you may recognize God as the one who comes down, who speaks loudly to the people. They were afraid. But before he came down on the mountain, God met a man named Moses. And that was a burning bush. And it wasn't burnt up. And now a voice that came out that said, take off your sandal for where you stand is holy ground. So we recognize he is the holy one, the lofty one. And God... God dealt with Moses, and Moses had these questions because he was being sent on a mission. So like, if the people ask, who are you, what should I tell them? Outside of telling the people, I'm the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, tell them that I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. I am God, and there is no other. And so he relayed that message to the people, but Moses wanted to know even further 
Hey, will you be present with us? Will you show your glory to me? Who He wanted to know God. Even then, God didn't disclose the fact that he was father, but it's more that he is the covenant-keeping Lord of love. And that's why he told Moses, as he had him in the cleft of the rock, said, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And I will be angry towards those who I'll be angry. So we see the sovereignty of God even through that passage there in Exodus 34. And throughout the Psalms, we see that our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That throughout even Isaiah, we see that God will not share his glory with another. That we will be tested in the furnace of affliction because God will get the glory of our lives. God, throughout the scriptures, is an awesome God. There's no one like him. God worked through the life of his people to show them that only he could be the one to raise the dead. We think about the works that he did through Elijah and all the prophets. God is God, the redeemer. But you see, when Jesus shows up, conceived by the Virgin Mary, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we see Jesus is born of God. The spirit of God. And so ever since Jesus was born, the only father that he knew to be his father was God. Yes, Joseph was there, his earthly father. But Jesus had a keen sense that God is my father. And so when he starts his earthly ministry saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's talking about the kingdom of his father the kingdom of the one who loves and provides for all. And so Jesus introduces the father to the disciples, even through teaching them how to pray. He said, pray to God, your father in heaven. Pray to him when you pray to the father. And he says, not only that, but my father will be your father. And Jesus calls him Abba, father. And even we see throughout the New Testament, Paul speaks about the spirit of the father that we will, the spirit that leads us to call him Abba, father. We see that God hears and answers our prayers. We see this through Matthew 7. We see through Hebrews that God is the one who disciplines his children in love, though, teaching them, not punishing them leading them to be more like him. You see the love of the father. He says that he is a good father. We see this through Matthew 7. He, he encourages us to come and ask. And he says, it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone, here's the promise to you who know God as father. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Of which of you, of which of you, one of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? How much more will he be there 
The lesser things God will for sure take care of. And so bring those lesser things to him, whatever they may be. And this is why Jesus has to strengthen the disciples' resolve to trust the Father. And we see here through the passage that we have before us today, he repeats the same command throughout. Three times he says, do not be anxious to drive home the point that our trust is to be in our Heavenly Father for life. Our trust is to be in our Heavenly Father for all things that we need. Our trust must be unto him for our utmost devotion and also for our tomorrow. He says, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 25, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. And for sure, as we said before, the therefore in this passage points back to the teachings that Jesus has just taught them, teaching them to trust God more than their possessions in life, teaching them a new ambition to run after the heart of your father and not after the things of the world, to teach them to love and serve and be devoted to him at all costs. So he tells them, do not be anxious about your life. Why does he tell them that? Well, he gives the reason here. Your life is more than food and clothing. Your life is more than food and clothing. And he asks the question, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? To be anxious about food, drink, and clothing is to be anxious about life itself, about survival. We want to make it. We want to survive. If God has given new life, how much more will he provide all that is needed to sustain life. We need to be convinced of that today because sometimes we're not. We get out there and we give it our best. Along the way, we forget that we have a father who loves to be there for us, sustaining us. We worry because we still believe that some of the power is in our hand in our fallen state. We may look at productivity, the advances of life, and things that we can afford and think that we've made it. We're doing well. We have security in our finances. We have security in our relationship. God is saying, if you run after these things, these are not the things that will give you life. They will not sustain you. Do not be anxious about the sustenance of life or clothing. But these things can hinder one's distraction and absolute devotion to discipleship unto God. So as necessary as these things may be, they can't be the things that will sustain life. Jesus even told us, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Why? Why does he tell us this? Your life, uh, not, do not be anxious about your life. Well, secondly, you're more valuable than the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus is giving an illustration. There must have been some birds flying by as he was out there on the hillside, right? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
So Jesus invites them to observe carefully the birds of the air. Let's do some bird watching. Look at them. See how carefree they are running back and forth. They, they do give some effort in going to find some food now. They do take responsibility. But God is the one at the end of the day who provides and who feeds them. They're not anxious about their financial security. They're not farmers. They're not sowing and, and reaping and gathering into barns. They're not capable of cooking dinner for themselves. They're a perpetual reminder that our father extends his providential care for their needs. So just as certain that they will be provided for, we will be provided for as well. As they have no choice but to depend on God for their sustenance, it's the same for us too in our sophisticated lives where we are duped into thinking that we're not dependent upon him. God is a father who frees his children up from distractions so that we will be deeply devoted in our uh, discipleship to him and give our attention to him for our ongoing needs, no matter how small and great, they will not become our ambition because God is the sovereign God who cares for you and for me. Thirdly, we cannot add to our lives. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Truly, what can we accomplish by being anxious? Nothing at all. By worrying, we cannot add to life. Our Heavenly Father is the one who is in control over our life span. That's why Jesus tells us, frankly, tomorrow is not promised. We have to look at what's before us right now, today, today, because God is in control of that. He's in control of when Jesus will come back. God knows our birth date. He knows our death date as well. So we should indeed care for our bodies, being responsible stewards of what God has entrusted to us, taking on that responsibility and being serious about it, but not in a way of self-preservation, for we cannot preserve our lives. So we work hard and we recognize that even God provides that energy that we need to work hard. And you know, some people in our day and age are into uh, reverse aging. You know, there, there are people who are spending millions of dollars trying to figure out this golden ticket. You know, how, how can I slow down this aging process? You know, how, how can I not have so many gray hairs on my face and on my, on my head? How can I stay in tip-top condition? You know, there are times when we, you know, we're all in our body. You know, there are times when we just are in the gym day in and day out, working out, trying to preserve our looks because we think that by them we are somebody. Y'all look good. Don't get me wrong. You look good. You look good. You know, but to pour so much into our looks, it's a dangerous thing. We should care for our bodies, but to do this outside of a loving father who sustains us is reckless. The fourth thing he tells them in terms of do not be anxious about your life, you're more radiant than the grass. And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet your, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, or in some translation do say thrown into the fire, which means they would not be here long, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you are little faith. So he gives them another illustration from nature. Consider, pay careful attention to the wildflowers on the hill. See them. They don't dress themselves, but their beauty is unfounded. Their beauty is much more than Solomon, who was known to have beauty in all things and all ways of life. He was not even arrayed like one of them. They don't, they're not seamstress. They don't clothe themselves. But God is communicating to the disciples that he is the one that brings their clothing. They don't need to be concerned about being clothed. That he is the one who will meet those needs for them. He will beautify his saints that are precious in his sight. And Isaiah told us that all flesh is grass. And all this beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Your life is more than food and clothing. You are more valuable than the birds. It's okay that you can't add to life but that you do have life in the Father, that you are a child of God. That makes all the difference. You are more radiant than the grass of the field because you have the beauty of your Father. You see, your Heavenly Father is always near to you. You can relax and rejoice today because in the days ahead, He will take care of you. The past life that you once lived you know, some of us were hurt and pain. That does not even rule over you. Your heavenly father is the one who leads and guides you with his steady, strong right hand. So as God is close to us, friends, we can rejoice that he is near, that we have a father. We can let the kindness of our father be shown to all. Don't hold it back. Don't hold back that kindness and forgiveness. You know, I see this with my kids all day long, right? I can talk about them. Can I, can I talk about them for a second? <laughs> it's like, like, why would you do that to your sister? Why would you do that to your brother? You know, uh, you got to talk it out. Apologize. Show kindness. Love each other. But you know, that's maybe how God sees us, right? When we hold grudges, when we hold back our kindness to one another, um, when we hold back our words of blessing to one another, maybe, maybe that God is leading us into some of those places where we can have those heart to hearts with our loved ones and our friends, to some of you in here, and that we can continue to be like the Father and showing our kindness and love to one another so that we can not, not be anxious, as Paul tells us, not be anxious about anything, but pray together. Seeking God with thanksgiving in our hearts, making our requests known to him. 
bringing our daily requests to God, both big and small, for he is near. Bringing those on our hearts to God, for he is near. Praying with the confidence that our Father hears, that our Father knows that he longs to provide for us, taking in his peace for our hearts. And so Jesus tells us, and tells his disciples, do not be anxious about your life. I got to move quickly here. Do not, he tells them a second time, do not be anxious about your needs, that we are to trust God for our needs. He said, don't be anxious about asking these questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he teaches them, don't get caught up in these worldly ambitions. Do not be anxious and tied down by worrying about food and drink and clothes. Your father knows that you need them. They're not lost on him. His eyes and attention are are upon you. He has his mind on those things. You know, as parents, right, you, you, you have children. And what happens you're tired and you have to give forethought to what they're going to eat tomorrow, what they're going to wear tomorrow. Are the clothes washed? Uh, is the house clean? Their rooms clean? Uh, you know, where, where will we go for the entertainment? And so many thoughts go into thinking for our children, even as, you know, Elizabeth, thank everybody today for being involved in the children's ministry. And we should, right? Because it takes all of us, right? But see, God is showing us something, isn't he? He's showing us of how much he loves us by how many hands and feet rush into taking care of our children, not just in our homes, but outside of our homes of those who care about our children, who care about us as well. God meets all of those needs. He's thinking about all of those needs. And he said, don't be like those who don't have a father, the Gentile nations, the pagans who don't look to him as their father. Not so with you. You have a father. He will meet your every need. Some of the things that you want, but every need that you have. So what is this being anxious? What is it for? Being anxious is just this vain attempt to control a situation, isn't it? Anxiety creates this fantasy about how we can bring resolve to a troubled circumstance in life. When, we, when worry strikes us, we can barely envision a time when worry was not. We wring our hands about what to do. We steal our heads as we're frozen in fear about what to do. We flood our hearts with the pressures since there seem to be no end in sight to our worry. Others may decide to move quickly, get going, do something about the situation, but still worry on the heart. Being anxious creates a scarcity, friends, when there is plenty. Have you ever been in your home and you wonder, what shall I eat today? I just don't know. You open the fridge and food is there. It's packed. You open the cupboards, food is there. It's packed. What what should I eat? What should I eat? Eat something. (laughs) It's all there before you. Why worry about it when you have all that you need? We worry in, the, in those ways when our plans do not come through in the way we hope. We devise another plan. Maybe that's a better way. 
when we get the resolve we're looking for, we may take a deep breath and think, ah, I got what I was looking for. For a moment, I can, I can breathe. But being anxious, we worry some more. That it's not going to go right. You see, being anxious is it's like it's contagious. It can be addicting to be anxious, to feel something, to keep us going. You know, something to make us feel alive, something to, that help us to cope with going through life when it feels just so easy. And there are all kinds of things that we may be worried about, anxious about, ways that we're trying to mask who we truly are. You know who we truly are? We're children of a father who's waiting for us to come to him, to show our deepest dependency upon, upon him. No matter how small or how big, God says, come, cast your anxieties on me, for he cares for you. So let's not let this anxiety become an idol for us. And of course, there are some ways where, you know, we're predispositioned towards anxiety. There are sometimes we need to get some medical treatments for it because of one reason or another. And God doesn't hide the fact that we are broken people and that we do need many interventions. But when the rubber hits the road, we have to come to our Heavenly Father. Abba, Daddy, are you there for me? Abba, Daddy, do you see my heart? Do you see how hard it is out here to provide for my family? Abba, Daddy, do you see how they are treating me? It's wrong, and I don't feel any security in moving forward in my job. Abba, Daddy, where will I stay? What will you provide for me? We worry, but we need to take our worry to our Heavenly Father. Can we do that? Can we bring it to him? And the last thing I'll share here is Jesus leading us to devote ourselves to him in that way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The kingdom of God needs to be our sole priority. The kingdom of God needs to be our deepest devotion. The kingdom of God needs to be upon our heart in such a way that when we move, we know our Father is there for us and with us. Do not seek the things of the world, but seek the things of the, the kingdom. Who is this king? It's Jesus leading us to the heart of the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said to Philip, you've seen the Father looking boldly in his face and recognizing that God provided every need for the Son when he was here on earth. And so he would do the same for us. He would not spare any, anything, but will come and give us all that we need. Let's walk in his righteousness. What is this righteousness? It's God's right standard for us. We can walk in it being obedient to his word, being set apart in his righteousness to bring justice in the world, listening to our father, trusting in how he will take care of us. Jesus says, devote yourselves to him. And that's what we should do. Devote ourselves to our Savior and friends, worshiping the Father, giving full allegiance to him, bringing our prayers, our kingdom prayers before the Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then ultimately yielded before him, praying for our neighborhood, praying for our wider community concerns that God will bring justice and hope and love in our communities. 
praying for ourselves personally, praying for those who persecute you, as God says, so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Sharing with others about God, who is your father, introducing people to him through what he, and telling them about what he's doing in your life. Sharing these stories of grace because you do have a father. Let's not ignore our father. Sometimes we do carry, go about in the world as if he is not there. He is always there. When we renew our focus upon him and obey him at all costs, given to those who are in need, knowing that God will give to you over and over again. So let us not worry, but instead devote ourselves to our Father who holds our tomorrow. Jesus says it. Therefore, the last command, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow would be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. And he did promise that we would have trouble each day and day in and day out. We would see this trouble. But not worrying about tomorrow. How can worrying add to our tomorrow? We can't go into the future. There is future grace, though, but we can't go into the future. But in the present, we are completely under our Father's control, our Father's care. Anxious worry is out of place for the disciple of Christ because Christ has promised that He is the same today, yesterday. And forevermore, he has our tomorrow. He is our tomorrow. He is the one who holds our feet in the present moment so that we can trust him. He will hold us fast. So being anxious about tomorrow keeps us from being present and seeing the beauty of our father today. It keeps us from being present with one another. Anxiety about tomorrow has no payoff for us. There's no need for it. As the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, vanities of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? Vanity of vanities is our anxious worry about tomorrow. What is needed is to fear our God and keep his commandments, being devoted to our Father. As one writer said, when we live in Tomorrowland, we can fret over our woes or dreams about our triumphs, but both can distract us from the goal of living for the kingdom in the present. The prospect of living for the king to be enough to keep our minds and hands well occupied, focusing on the Father of love who cares for us, who is there for us. So friends, as the Spirit helps us moment by moment to look into the Father, as the Spirit helps us to cry out to him, reminding us that we are co-heirs with Christ. He longs to give us all the kingdom with Christ, in Christ. Let's trust him for our lives. Let's trust our heavenly Father to be there when we need him. Let's trust him for our tomorrow, for we are indeed children of God. Will you live as a child of God today? Let's pray together.
Father, you are our Father. You are our mighty. You are able to keep us in every circumstance. So we thank you for giving us these sweet commands backed by your promise. So, Father, help us, we pray, to trust in your unchanging hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.